Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Everyone has heard about cancer, and many of us have a friend or a loved one that we know or a family member who might have unfortunately experienced cancer. But there are some types of cancer that people often don't associate with the most common things that they hear about, and that would be cancers in the bloodstream, otherwise known as blood cancers. So today I am joined by my friend and colleague, Dr. Craig Boddy, and he's on The Body Show. He practices at Straub Medical Center, and we're going to be talking a little bit about what blood cancers are, what the different types are, and how would you know if you had one? Is it common? And if so, what are the treatments out there for it? So I want to thank you for joining me today on The Body Show, Dr. Boddy. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. Well, you know, I almost feel like you should be the permanent host. Your name is illustrative of exactly what we're talking about here. Oh, I wouldn't want to steal that from you. You do a great job. Ah, you can come anytime. So let's talk about it. You know, we often hear about breast cancer, colon cancer, lung cancer, prostate cancer, cervical cancer, a lot of solid organ tumors. But people often don't necessarily think about blood cancers. What is a blood cancer and what are some names that might sound familiar to folks? So blood cancers are a pretty broad term, uh, which encompass still many, many types of different types of blood cancers. Uh, So the main types are leukemias. Those are really blood and bone marrow cancers. There are lymphomas, uh, which are a cancer of the white blood cell that typically originates from your lymph node uh, immune system. And there are other couple others as well, including multiple myeloma, which is another bone marrow cancer, and another condition that's sometimes referred to as a cancer as well called MDS, myelodysplastic syndrome. And those encompass really the whole breadth of blood cancers. So it usually is something that either originates with a type of cell that's in your blood, white blood cells, for example, or something that is going wrong in that process. So you mentioned bone marrow as another place where blood cells are made, and then lymph nodes where some of our white blood cells tend to hang out. So if it's a cancer of that type and it's not in, a, in an organ per se, then that would be something that we would consider, like you described, as being a cancer of the bloodstream or a blood cancer. Correct, correct. So the two most common ones that I think a lot of folks might have heard about would be like leukemia or lymphoma. And these are totally different types of cancers. Totally different. There are a couple exceptions that have some overlap between the two, but overall totally different. Uh, And there's many types within leukemias and many types within lymphomas as well. Are they common? They're more on the uncommon side compared to other solid tumor cancers like lung cancer, breast cancer, colon cancer, which are much more common than the other blood cancers. And since there's so many types of blood cancers, that makes the specific diagnosis more rare. And does it happen often in kids? The most common pediatric cancer is a blood cancer called uh, ALL, acute lymphoblastic leukemia. And that's the most common cancer within all all of children. Uh, But as we get older, that cancer becomes much more rare in adults. So for the kids who might get some type of cancer, it more often would be one of these types of leukemias or lymphomas as opposed to them having a lung cancer or a colon cancer or some other type of cancer. 
right, then when right. you're an adult, you might have a different version of it, usually not the same one as a child might get. Right. Yeah. The underlying biology is different and their treatments are different. And also young children uh, respond very differently to the treatments that we give than older adults do. They do better. They do better. Yeah. Now, what are some of the symptoms that would make someone consider that this could be an issue? Or, you know, we'll talk first maybe about pediatric symptoms, because I suspect they're fairly similar to adult symptoms. But then there might be another way. I mean, you know, I practice for adults, so 18 and over are the patient population that I see. So I'll order a blood test, for example, that you wouldn't necessarily order in pediatrics. So what are the common symptoms? And then we'll talk about what we might see in blood that would indicate one of these problems. So the short answer is it depends. Uh, but but the long answer is, uh, you know, for leukemias and lymphomas, there can be an overlapping symptoms. So there can be kind of general symptoms, including fevers that are persistent or unexplained. Uh, these patients that have these types of cancers have a weakened immune system, so they're also more prone to have infections. So those fevers can be from infections. Uh, they can have drenching night sweats, so not just, you know, a little bit of sweating at night, but rather uh, you're really drenching your bed and you need to change your sheets, change your clothes. Uh, sometimes it can be difficult to discern that with uh, perimenopausal symptoms, kind of a similar type of uh, significant night sweat. Unexplained weight loss is something we worry about in all types of cancers, so that's not really leukemia or lymphoma specific, but uh, any type of cancer can cause an unexplained weight loss. If people have enlarged lymph nodes, it depends where the enlarged lymph nodes are and what they're pressing are in terms of what symptoms they may have. So lymph nodes are uh, a part of your immune system that to helps your blood cells really capture the bacteria and viruses in your immune system and present them to have uh, an immune response to then be able to clear the infection. And they're all over your body. So they're in your neck most commonly, as most people where they think of lymph nodes being is in their neck, but also under your armpits, in the center parts of your chest that you can't feel, the back part of your abdomen that you can't feel, and your groins that you can sometimes feel them. So if you have an enlarged lymph node, that would be more concerning for a lymphoma and if it's pressing on something that may cause some discomfort. So it would be, you know, sometimes I will see patients in the office and they'll have lymph nodes, but they'll also have like strep throat. So right. that kind of makes sense. You have an infection and you have lymph nodes. And I, I kind of explained to them, it's your immune system doing its job. It's trying to get to the area of the problem and it's trying to eliminate it. Now, if you have enlarged lymph nodes and you don't have any illness and they keep getting larger, that would bring you to the attention of your primary care doctor or whomever you might see, and then they might do some further diagnostic testing. Correct. And really, the size is dependent on that as well. So if it's only mildly enlarged, we're less worried. But if it's significant, you know, it's the size of a lemon or the size of a baseball or softball, then certainly we're much more worried that it's a cancer causing uh, that enlarged lymph node. And the tests that we would typically do in a patient that came in with enlarged lymph nodes were, were concerned about a possibility of having cancer. First thing we do is really think of the non-cancer reasons. So like you mentioned, infection being the most common reason to have enlarged lymph nodes. So that's still the most common thing, and that's what we're looking for. Uh, but other things that we assess at that point would be some type of imaging test where we uh, do a type of scan to look to see what size is that lymph node, and also are we detecting other lymph nodes that we aren't detecting with our physical exam. So like I said, there's some areas of lymph nodes that we can't feel that are deeper. 
Uh, so imaging helps with that. So CAT scans or ultrasounds or MRIs or depending Correct. on what you're looking for, that would be the area that you would emphasize. Right. And then that gives us information about uh, where there's other involvement of this potential process, but also to help us with obtaining a sample or a biopsy. So the diagnosis really isn't made until we have a piece of tissue. Uh, and for lymphomas, that's a piece of lymph node tissue. We prefer to actually remove the whole lymph node just because we get to see the entire architecture of that lymph node. But for blood cancers, it can sometimes be diagnosed with just blood tests, but also uh, sometimes more helpful is by doing a bone marrow biopsy where we take a sample from the back part of your pelvic bone where your bone marrow is. So if you were to have a lymph node removed, you can live without one node because you have lots of other ones. You can, definitely. Uh, it's possible that if you have too many removed, then you can have swelling in that area because the lymph nodes help to drain fluids. But in the vast majority of people, they have no symptoms with removal of one lymph node. All right. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Craig Body, and you're listening to The Body Show. And we're talking today about different types of blood cancers, in particular, leukemias and lymphomas. How do you know you have one? What are some of the basic different types? And what sort of treatment is out there these days? Because people generally tend to respond quite well if this is caught early enough. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about different blood tests that might indicate some troubles and talk about some of the different ways that these conditions are diagnosed and hear some success stories as well. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and I'm here with Dr. Craig Body. He is a hematology oncologist at Straub Medical Center. And right before the break, we were talking about the differences between different types of blood cancers. So we talked a little bit about some of the symptoms that might indicate a problem with leukemia or lymphoma. And we were talking about how do you diagnose it. So with lymphoma, if you have persistently enlarged lymph nodes that seem to be getting bigger or of a certain size then it might be a sign of a problem. Although rare, it is often diagnosed by taking out a lymph node, and you can certainly live without one node in most cases, and it helps to diagnose if you actually have this particular type of a problem. Now, we also talked a little bit about some blood tests, and there are some standard tests that are often done, usually more in adults than in kids, unless there's symptoms, in which case they would be done for kids as well. But what sort of findings might indicate a problem in a complete blood count or just a standard blood test that could be a sign of troubles? So we do blood tests that look at the different types of blood cells that you have in your blood. So that includes white blood cells, which are the cells that typically fight infection, your red blood cells or hemoglobin levels that are the cells that carry oxygen in your blood, and platelet cells, which are the cells that help you stop bleeding if you cut or injure yourself. And those numbers can be affected if there's diseases involving those types of cells or involving the bone marrow. Uh, and the white blood cell can typically be elevated in leukemias, although it can also be low. Uh, so that depends on the factory of the blood cells, which is the bone marrow. If the bone marrow is really packed with a 
cancer, like leukemia cells, then there's just not enough room for the healthy cells to, to grow and to be made. And that can lead to low blood counts. So then in that particular case, your white blood cell count could be really low. Uh, you can also be anemic, so a low red blood cell count or hemoglobin. And you can also have low platelet cells, which can put you at increased risk of bleeding problems. And sometimes those cells can look really funny. Like I remember a couple of times when I was doing my hematology and oncology rotation in residency that you would look for something called blasts. What are those and why were we looking for them? Because we didn't want to find them. So blasts are not good to find in the peripheral blood. Uh, They can be normal in the bone marrow at very low levels. So less than 5% of these blast cells are normal in the bone marrow. And blast cells are an immature white blood cell, kind of a precursor to the more mature cells that we typically find in the blood. So it's unusual and um, abnormal to find a blast cell, which is an immature cell in the blood, because it shouldn't be there. Uh, Really, they're only in small numbers in the bone marrow, which is where they're supposed to be. And when they're at high numbers in the peripheral blood or high numbers in the bone marrow, that's indicative of an aggressive type of leukemia called acute leukemia, which of there's different types. Now, when you have those sorts of diagnoses, let's say that we have somebody who has a leukemia. What are some of the common treatments? Are these situations where you find it, and for most, situa- most conditions, you would actually need to start treatment pretty urgently? So there's two main types of leukemias. Uh, they're really broken up into acute leukemia, and chronic leukemias. And there's different types within that, but the acute leukemias do require emergent initiation of treatment because they're very aggressive. And they typically start over the course of weeks to maybe at most a couple months and can really progress to be uh, life-threatening. So pretty quick, pretty fast, get on that. Definitely, definitely. The chronic leukemias are, are different and those are typically picked up On a blood test, um, maybe with or without symptoms, could have had a blood test for another reason and can pick up on a high white blood cell count that we do a workup and find that you have this chronic leukemia. And those sometimes don't even require treatment. Because it's just something that maybe your body is doing with your white blood cells and it's not causing infection, it's not causing you to not make those other good blood cells that you need. So sometimes adults, I know that, you know, I have several patients who have CLL chronic leukemia and they don't need any treatment just yet, they may never need treatment. Right. And it's something you can actually live with. Correct. Correct. Yeah. The chronic leukemias are are very different than the acute leukemias and how we look at them. uh, And those are typically diseases that those patients will have the rest of their lives and uh, with or without treatment. And like you said, many times can go years and years without needing treatment, but we do monitor closely to look for signs of when they may need treatment if their other healthy blood counts are being affected or if they start to have symptoms related to it. And the types of treatments we're talking about for acute leukemia would be standard chemotherapy types of things? So acute leukemias are treated with intense treatments. Uh, So in a young enough patient who's fit enough, not too many significant or severe medical problems, then those patients are fit enough to get the intense treatments. And those are intensive chemotherapy regimens, uh, which typically are given in the hospital initially. And that varies uh, compared to older treatment, or sorry, older patients who are not fit enough to receive that such an intense regimen because it comes with so many side effects and complications. Uh, The older patients receive a less intense treatment 
that's typically done in the clinics to help control the disease. Now, when do bone marrow transplants come into play? So bone marrow transplants come into play with certain types of leukemias to help to prevent the leukemia from coming back. So for the acute leukemias and the patients that we're treating aggressively, our goal is to cure them of their leukemia. And they require an intense treatment. And some patients we know have a higher risk of their disease coming back once they've achieved remission. And in those patients, we consider performing stem cell or bone marrow transplant, which uh, two different names, but basically means the same thing. Uh, there's different situations that we use bone marrow or stem cell transplants in as well, including in lymphomas. That's typically once the lymphomas come back that we, in the second line of treatments, uh, use a stem cell transplant in that category. But there's different types of uh, stem cell transplants as well. And there's two main types. You can have a stem cell transplant that's derived from your own stem cells, meaning that your own stem cells are collected and frozen and then reinfused back to you after you've received a high-intense chemotherapy regimen. And there's a different type called an allogeneic stem cell transplant that comes from a donor. And that can be a sibling uh, or a uh, unrelated donor through a match program. And that's why sometimes you'll see people who will put out a, a call for people to donate their bone marrow just to see if they could potentially be a match for someone. Given our unique ethnic variation here in the islands, there are often difficulties finding matches for people of various different percentage ethnicities because that has to do with your ability to match. Right, right. And that's why it's so important to have as many people as we can in that registry uh, to be able to, you know, potentially be a donor for someone who can save their life to get that stem cell transplant from a, someone who's a match because they may not have a match in their family. And how would you become a member of the bone marrow registry? What is the process? Do you do a swab of your cheek? Do you have to do anything more invasive? If you were, I know sometimes they'll have events where it's like, okay, we want to sign up people to try and see if they can be on the registry. What's the process to get on the registry? Is it a big invasive test or is it something simple everybody could do? So the initial screening test is not invasive. So it's either a cheek swab or a blood test. And really that's just looking at your DNA and looking at that material in your cells to see what your markers are to then compare to other patients who may need a transplant in the future. And really that's all that's done initially and only additional testing is done if you are a match to someone who needs one. And at that point, there's some additional testing that's done. So for anybody who says, I think I want to be on the registry, that's a pretty simple process. And then if you do find that you're a match for someone, there might be more intensive testing, but to be on the registry, it's really simple, not invasive, we could all be on the registry. And, and that's correct. And something that uh, is a common misconception is since it's called a bone marrow or stem cell transplant, uh, people think that the donors are getting these bone marrow biopsies. And only very, very rarely does a donor have a bone marrow biopsy performed. Rather, the stem cells from the donor are collected from the blood uh, just using a, a larger vein catheter to collect the stem cells. Kind of like donating blood. Similar, yes. So if, you could, if you've ever donated blood, you could also potentially donate bone marrow. It doesn't have to be any different as far as a procedure. We can't guarantee that, but in most cases, it's relatively simple, and it's something that anybody who was interested, who wanted to participate in that, could do. Correct, and you could save someone's life in doing so. 
That sounds like a good plan to me. And I've been on the registry for a while now, but nobody needs my bone marrow just yet. All right. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and you're listening to The Body Show. I'm here with Dr. Craig Body from Straub Medical Center. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about lymphoma. You might have heard of Hodgkin's and non-Hodgkin's. What does that refer to? And what exactly is going on with lymphoma treatment? And how can we learn how to take good care of that as well to keep people healthy and active as long as possible? We'll be right back. Stay with us. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and I'm here with my guest, perfectly named Dr. Craig Body. He is a hematology oncologist at Straub Medical Center. And right before the break, we were talking about different types of leukemia. What are some of the treatments? Why do some not require treatment when you're older? And how aggressive can treatment be when you're younger? There's another type of condition that people often hear about, and it's lymphoma, and it's often differentiated into Hodgkin's lymphoma and non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. What's that about? So that's the initial breakdown when we think of lymphomas. We break it down into two main categories, Hodgkin's and non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And Hodgkin's lymphoma are more rare. Uh, They typically occur in the peak ages in the younger adult population. So teenagers, 20s, 30s is the the peak ages where we see Hodgkin's lymphoma, and then slows down and then comes back again as people start to get older in their 60s and 70s. Uh, Non-Hodgkin's lymphoma is much more diverse and has many, many over 50 types of lymphomas, Uh, whereas that Hodgkin's lymphoma only has really two main types in terms of how differently we treat patients. Uh, Hodgkin's lymphoma, we are typically always going to, uh, with the goal of cure those patients, and in non-Hodgkin's lymphomas, it depends on their subtype. Like I said, there's many different types. So why are there so many different types? Is it a genetic issue that's going on that's causing these cells to do something unusual? Is there something specific that is a risk factor for it? Or could it be pretty much anything? So these are immune cells. And what that means is your immune system is constantly being um, really bombarded with outside organisms and uh, exposures to bacteria and viruses. So your immune system is constantly being activated. And when your immune system is being activated, these cells are growing in your body. And as they're doing so, mistakes can happen. And mutations can develop in the genes that lead to chromosome changes that can predispose to then going on to develop a lymphoma. Uh, there are other risk factors as well, uh, m- most notably if you've had you know, a large exposure to radiation. That's certainly uh, one thing that we think about, something that's gaining more and more uh, attention as well, are pesticides. So if you've had large exposures to pesticides, that's potentially uh, an issue. Uh, if you've had uh, chemotherapy in the past for other treatments, that can lead to different blood cancers. So that's something else that we think about. There's only uh, pretty rare to have family involvement in, in terms of leukemias and lymphomas running in families, but we didn't. We used to think that that really didn't happen at all, and over the past five, ten years, we've started to learn more about that in terms of 
the genes that are inherited that can possibly lead to these conditions. And we found that it's around 5 to 10% of cases that can have a family inheritance pattern to these as well. Yeah, I think the treatment for some of these diseases and disorders, particularly in the cancer arena, have dramatically changed. I mean, I did training, sad to say, 20 years ago. So a lot has developed in the world of cancer treatment, discovering the genetic predisposition, discovering what particular gene, and doing a variety of different types of treatments for folks to help them to, as you said, the goal is, in most cases, if possible, to cure the disease. So if someone has Hodgkin's or non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, is it something that is relatively curable, or is it something for which they can expect to have some chronic problems over time? So for Hodgkin's lymphoma, it's relatively curable. So a pretty high percentage of patients with Hodgkin's lymphoma are cured. And that's with a combination of, depending on what we call the stage of their disease, meaning where is the lymphoma in their body. So if it's localized to one or two areas, then it's stage one or two. Uh, but if it's multiple areas of the body, we, we use the diaphragm as a divider. So if you have um, enlarged lymph nodes, on both sides of the diaphragm, that'd be stage three. And if you have lymph node involvement outside of a lymph node area, then that's stage four. But stage four in lymphoma is very different than stage four in other cancers. Uh, in stage four, lymphomas are still curable. Uh, and in Hodgkin's lymphoma, we use chemotherapy with radiation if it's localized to one or two areas. And if it's more than just one or two areas, then radiation can't treat the whole body. And at that point, we're using mainly chemotherapy. Where do you see the treatments for all different types of blood cancers heading in the next few years? We've had some interesting developments in the last couple of years that have really heralded a new approach to dealing with these conditions. Where do you see it going after that? So you're right. There continues to be continued advancements, which are exciting and allow us to have more treatment options that are better treatments. Really, we're getting more and more targeted in our treatments and also, at the same point, harnessing the immune system and learning how to harness the immune system to treat these types of cancers. The immune system is being used as a tool to treat all types of cancers, uh, but in a different way with blood cancers than with solid tumor cancers like uh, lung cancer was really melanoma. Those are the two really big immune system, uh, or sorry, cancers that are treated with the immune system's help. And with the blood cancers, they're using new types of treatments uh, where your own cells are collected and genetically uh, changed to then be able to target your specific leukemia or lymphoma cells. So those are called CAR T cells, uh, which are an exciting advancement uh, that's really taken place in the past couple of years. Yeah, that uh, chimeric antigen receptor T cells? Correct. Pretty amazing. That's what you hear about with CRISPR technology and how they're using that to really help to make your own immune system fight your own cancer in a way that has been found to be, for those who respond, extraordinarily successful. So you're using your own immune cells and then in a lab... Uh, Altering th them. They're infected with a virus that leads to a target uh, that is expressed on your leukemia or lymphoma cells that are then reinfused those cells back in your body to specifically target those leukemia or lymphoma cells, correct? 
And because it's a blood cancer, it may be more successful than solid tumors, or so we think, because solid tumors is kind of hard to get in there and kind of get to the middle of that tumor. It's sort of it's hard hiding to get, out. It's hard yeah. to get in there. That's, that's one reason. The other reason is the target. So the, the target is important because uh, these cells really wipe out all the cells that have that target, and you'd have to be able to live without a certain type of tissue or something that expresses that target. So that's one of the, one of the differences. Reasons. Well, I have to say, we have really covered the gamut of a lot of different major topics in blood cancer, but we will have to do this more often, particularly because the show is named after you. And so we're going to have to talk a little bit more about these different types and maybe some of the newer, exciting things that are going on for treatment. But I want to thank you for being on the show with us today and sharing your expertise. Thank you for having me. I'd be happy to be back. That's great. Dr. Craig Boddy from Straub Medical Center coming back to The Body Show. If you'd like to hear this show again, you can click on hawaiipublicradio.org and follow the links. We can also be found on the HPR app. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Our engineer is David Chong, and we will see you next week when we talk about all sorts of health topics right here on The Body Show.